chapter number four. We are back in the book of James. Uh, I know some of you uh, have probably been are we ever going to get back to it? Some of you didn't even know that we were in it to begin with, but uh, we were, all right? And uh, we, about two months ago, we actually took a, a break right about Thanksgiving as we jumped into the Christmas season and kind of took a little bit of a detour and preached some Christmas messages. And then uh, throughout January, we, we focused a little bit on our theme for the year. And now as we jump back into February, we're going to jump back into our theme, our, our book that we've been looking at, the book of James faith in action in our lives, and we've been spending some time just walking carefully through the, this book of the Bible verse by verse and seeing the scriptures in its context. Uh, it can be, uh, sometimes you can open the scriptures, and, and I've heard preachers, I've actually been in services where preachers said, uh, just stood up there and he just flipped his Bible open, pointed his finger and said, all right, that's where we're going to preach from this morning. And uh, anytime that happens, you can mark it down. Things are going to be said that shouldn't be said, and things are going to be said that are completely out of context, all right? That's the way that that goes. And so so we carefully have been walking verse by verse through the book of James uh, over the past little while, and maybe you go back and say, man, I missed it. Hey, you can go online to our website. You can see the, all of the messages there. We also have a podcast that you can jump onto, and you can check them out there as well, and to go back and listen to some of those messages, get caught up so that you know exactly where we are uh, as we're going through the book of James. But today, we're going to start into chapter number four, James chapter number four. And we're going to start by reading these first six verses, and then we're going to ask for the Lord's help. And then uh, we'll dive into the message this morning. But James chapter number 4, look with me if you would at verse number 1. The Bible says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he, say, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Let's ask for the Lord's help today, and then we're going to dive into these verses together this morning. Father, thank you for this time that you give us to be able to open your word, and I pray, God, for a few moments now you'd bring our thoughts into captivity so that we'd be able to focus on your word and what you have for us this morning. I pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, speak through me. Help me, God, to say only those words that you desire for me to say, and God, I pray that it would be clear to each and every listener this morning that we would hear from you. And I pray, God, that each heart, God, would be tender. And Lord, as we look at really a very important uh, subject um, in regards to the church and just in our, in our personal lives, Lord, I pray that you would be able to minister to each person and help us, God, to walk closer to you for having been here. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We'll give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last time, all the way back right before Thanksgiving, we were finishing up chapter number three, and uh, we, we were working our way through the chapter, and and we're reminded that in verse number 13, the question was asked in chapter number 3, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Uh, he said, uh, who, who has wisdom? Uh, who's, who's endued with knowledge? And, and we talked about how this was to the church. So we could say this is a question that was asked to why all Baptist church? I mean, it was something that was asked. Who, who has wisdom? But it was a rhetorical question. He wasn't looking for anybody to raise their hand and say, oh yeah, me. Okay? He, it was a rhetorical question because right afterwards he gave the answer. He said right after that, after he asked, who's endued uh, with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness 
of wisdom. He, he says, don't, don't just tell me who has wisdom. He says, no, show me. Demonstrate it. The way your life is lived will show if you're a person that is walking in wisdom, that is, that is walking in truth, that is walking in such a way that would be classified as somebody that has the wisdom of God. And then in verses 14 through 16, he scratches the surface of a mindset that we're going to dive further into as we begin in chapter number 4. As we, as we talked about even last week, we, we mentioned that again, the scripture, sometimes there's a chapter break and oftentimes we think it's a changing of thought. But really, in this situation, it's just kind of a continuation of the same thought. Verse number 14 of chapter number 3, he said this, but if, if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts... Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. He says selfishness, contention, it's in the heart of the person. And it has, it's nothing that that person should be proud of. There's nothing that that person should boast about. That's, that's what he says there in, in verse number 14, where he says, glory not in this. And he says, and don't lie about it. Don't pretend and say, well, yeah, I'm a person of wisdom. He says, because you're, you're allowing contention. You're allowing strife to control your life. It's an, it's an attitude that he says, in fact, here, he says it's from the very pits of hell. It's not a good thing. It's, it's earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. It's, it's a fruit that is nothing that, but confusion and evil. And we know that from the Scripture, God is not the author of confusion. So it has nothing to do with God. It's from this platform, this foundation, that we dive into those first three verses of chapter number 4. Look with me again as he says this, as he begins and he jumps in and he talks about a confused perspective your confused perspective verse number one from whence come wars and fightings among you come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain ye fight in war and yet ye have not because ye ask not ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts once again, James begins the chapter with a, another rhetorical question. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Where do the, the wars and the fightings come from? Does it come from, from a giant balloon that flies over the sky? Is that the start of the war? Is that, is that where it comes from? No, no, that's, yeah, maybe, I don't know, but no, no, that's not what he's referring to here. The, the wars... And the fightings that he's talking about here is not talking about a war that takes place on a battlefield. No, what he's talking about here is, is, is contentions and disagreements. Contentions and disagreements. Strife that takes place. And here's the problem. What he was pointing to here, what he was talking about here, was something that was taking place within the church house among Christians. This ungodly, evil work was taking place in the very place that Christ and God was supposed to reign supreme. But instead, the confusion and evil works were reigning in His stead. James answers to 
this question. He, he gives us the answer in, in those first three verses. He says, friends, comes wars and fightings among you. And he tells us this, first of all, come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members. Can I, can I say it this way? He says this, you, here's what the problem is. You want what you want. You want what you want. Your lusts, your desires that are warring in your members. The fighting, the arguing that was taking place amongst the members of that congregation, those believers, it was fighting because they were fighting for the prominence of what was going to take place, what was going to be the thing that was going to control their lives, and what they wanted was what was controlling their lives. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was an argument over the color of the carpet in the building. I don't know, maybe. Maybe it was an issue about the, the paint on the walls and what, what color they were going to choose. And, and one person thought it was too dark. Another said it was too light. And that one was outdated. And that one's too modern. And, and there was just contention there. And, and they wanted what they wanted. Maybe, maybe it was division over the message that the pastor preached. I don't know. Maybe they were just mad because no one else was, was jumping in and helping out. All they knew is that they wanted what they Wanted and, and for whatever reason, the contention began to, to, to cause them to divide. And here he, he writes to him and he says, listen, you want to know where the wars, you want to know where the fightings, the divisions, you want to know where they come from? He says, I'll tell you where they come from. They come from the lusts that are warring in your members. You want what you want. And it led to something. It led to verse number two. You fight for what you want. Look at verse number two. He says, ye lust and have not, so ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war and ye have not because ye yes not. Things escalated. Because they wanted what they wanted and no one was willing to budge, they, they dug in and they, they planted themselves firmly and they said, no, this is what I want. Overnight, they become direct sales employees. Trying to convince everybody else of their position. <laughs> yeah, paint color would clash with the, with the chairs. You, you don't, don't you think the preacher's a little long-winded? Nobody would say that here, but maybe, you know. <laughs> Did you see what they were wearing? Trying to convince them of what they wanted. The Bible says there at the end in verse number two, he, he says, ye, ye fight and you war and ye have not because ye, ye ask not. And he says, listen, you're, you're, you're not asking with pure motives. You're asking to consume them upon your lust, we find. I want what I want. And I'm going to fight for what I want. And you know what it led to? This is amazing. It led to the greatest pitch meeting of all. Asking God for what you want. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with coming to God and saying, God, will you answer this prayer? But here was the problem. They were asking it from their lusts. That's what verse number 3 tells us. He says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. I want what I want. I'll stand and I'll fight for what I want. And, and, and ultimately, they came to the place where they said, God, will you just give me what I want? <laughs> God, would you, here, here's what they, God, would you change their heart? I mean, they're being so mean and ugly about the whole thing, and all I want is for the church to look good. All I want is for things to be done the right way. 
God, if you could just change them, then we would finally be on the same page and be able to glorify you. So God, if you would just change their heart, but no one changes. And instead, the church splits. And both sides are left pointing the finger at each other, and broken pieces are scattered everywhere. This is a story that can be told over and over and over again in churches all over. I've heard this story told so many times over and over and over again. I want what I want. And somebody over here wants what they want. And there's no, no give. There's just nothing. But I want, I, and finally there's contention, there's breaking. And ultimately it ends in destruction. Why? Because I want what I want. I don't like the way they did that. I didn't like that song that we sang this morning. It was kind of hard to sing. I didn't like that message. I don't like the way the preacher looked. And can I be honest with you? I don't like some of the way some of you guys look either. So just take that, all right? So, <laughs> I want what I want. You know, it can be so easy to forget that this isn't your church. And it isn't my church. Exactly, Ron. It's God's church. And what right do you or I have to decide that things are to be my way in God's church? But let's bring it a little closer to home, okay? I mean, you might want to you know, cover your toes a little bit because sometimes this hurts, all right? Sometimes it takes place in our relationships. I just don't understand why my spouse can't see things the way that I see them. I just wish they'd come around. I don't understand why, why his family is, is that way. I just don't know why she always does that. So you call up your buddies or, or ladies, maybe you call your girlfriends or, or your mom and, and, and they're always an impartial judge with you, you know, and, uh, and you say to them, hey, I just don't know why they are that way. And you know that... Anybody that's on your side will always give you good counsel, right? And uh, they, they sit there and they're, they're an open ear to, to agree with you and say, yeah, yeah, I agree. They should change. They shouldn't be that way. Just stick to your stuff. And then you pull the trump card. God, would you just change my spouse? <laughs> if you would just change them, I would finally have a happy marriage. Oh, I just can't stand their parents. God, if you would just change them. I just can't take my coworker anymore. They're so annoying. <laughs> if you would just change them. I want what I want, so I'll fight for what I want, and then I'll ask God to give me what I want. And listen, friends, it's a confused perspective because it starts with the wrong premise. It's all about me. And the truth is God has nothing to do with it. And so we come to verse number 4 and 5 and we find God's response to your perspective. Verse number 4 says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> Ouch. James doesn't beat around the bush. James, I mean, he just, he just flat out just comes out and says, Hey, listen, you're a bunch of adulterers and adulteresses. That's what he does. I mean, like, man. And, and here's the thing. James would eventually pastor a church of over 20,000 people. So I'm thinking maybe I should take some lessons from James and uh, start talking to you that way. And uh, maybe, uh, you know, who knows, you know, but. 
Jewish believers understood what he was saying. You adulterers and adulteresses, you see in the Old Testament, it's a cycle over and over and over again. All through the Old Testament, you can go back and look. The cycle is, is the people of God, the Jews, the Israelites are right with God. And then they begin to rebel against Him. They begin to leave God and they go and they serve other gods. They begin to bow down to other little G gods and, and burn altars to them and, and, and have sacrifices they give to these other gods. And God sees them uh, rebelling, going against Him, leaving Him for other gods. And so what does He do? He sends judgment, brings judgment upon them. Sometimes it was in in the form of an army that would come and overtake them. Sometimes it would fire that would fall down from heaven, but God would bring judgment. Sometimes it was a famine that would come. God would bring judgment upon them to get their attention. You know what happened? The people would would, would sense that they would experience those hard times. What would it do? The hard times would turn people back to God. They would repent to God, and then the cycle would begin and start all over again and it would happen over and over and over and over and over again the story of Hosea that's exactly what the story is about uh, you remember Hosea who has a wife named Gomer I mean she had to be a beauty I'm just telling you all right what was the story of Hosea and Gomer well God tells tells Hosea to take this wife who was a prostitute and he takes her and he marries her and then she leaves him and and then he goes and he, he brings her back again and takes her back again and in the cycle. It was a picture of the relationship of God and Israel. This repeated cycle, the adulterers and adulteresses in their relationship with God. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And now James says to the church, church, you've forgotten that you are the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, it's no longer about you and your wants. It's no longer about the little idols in your life. It's no longer about your, you living your life your way. You, you, you're fighting amongst the bride of Christ is ugly and it's disgusting. And can I tell you, it, it makes God angry. He hates it. What right do you or I think we have to get in the way of Christ and His relationship with His church? See, Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, a crucified man doesn't have his own ambitions. A crucified man doesn't have his own plans. He is held to that cross a sacrifice and as an example and as a believer and the bride of Christ that is the life you and I are called to live in Christ Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and listen be not conformed to this world But be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That life is one that is in direct opposition to the life lived in the world, in the flesh, and under the control of the devil. That is what he's saying in verse number 4, verse uh, the second part there. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not... The friendship of the world is the enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think, though the Scripture saith in the vein, the Spirit lusteth, dwelleth in us, it lusteth to envy? 
You see, he, he comes here and he says, listen, he says that your friendship with the world, because you are, are coming along and, and you're acting more like the world than you're acting more like a Christian, he said, you're acting like you're an enemy of God. And in 1 John 2.15, he says, friend, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I mean, love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James isn't telling the believers that they're supposed to be rude to the world. He doesn't say, hey, listen, you're not supposed to be a friend of the world in the sense of be rude to them. I've met people that were like that. They, they believed that, that because you're, you're a Christian that you're not supposed to be anything uh, like the world. And so not only that, you're supposed to be mean to the world. I've seen people that, that listen, oftentimes you've heard it said, you know, love the, the sinner, hate the sin. I've met some people that they were pretty close to hating the sinner as much as they hated the sin. It was uh, not a good thing. Call us to do that. Jesus was a perfect example of not tolerating, not, not accepting sin, but yet loving that sinner. You think the woman at the well who came to him and listen, he looked at him and he said, listen, you've got five husbands. You've had five husbands. The man you're living with now is not your husband. He didn't excuse her sin. But at the end of it, he said, listen, I want to give you water, that water of life that, that you'll never thirst again. Jesus loved her through it. That's not what James is saying here. No, what James is saying is, is that Christians want what they want and they fight for what they want. And God asks and they ask God for what they want, and, and, and when they do that, you know what they're doing? They're, they're acting like the world. And it's chapter 3, 15, chapter 3, verse number 15 says that that thinking is earthly, sensual, and devilish. It isn't the mind that the bride of Christ should have. But here's the problem. According to the end of verse number 5, it's the natural bent of our flesh. He says there again, do you think the scripture saith in vain, spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? He, he says here, he looks and he says, listen, in your flesh, your natural desire is to do those things, is to go that way, is to be an adulterer or an adulteress in your relationship with Christ. Your natural bent is going to be to war and fight among the members. Your natural uh, result, the natural uh, result of your life is going to be to have confrontation within your marriage relationship, within your family relationship, within your co-worker relationship. That's the natural bent that you have because that's the spirit that is in you. Don't you wish when you got saved that not only did your, your soul get saved and, and, and not only did you get a ho home in heaven, but all of a sudden the sin nature was taken away that would be great it sure be nice I wish I didn't struggle with sin anymore I wish I never had to look at Tressa again and see her and say and I, I wish I never had to say the words to her Tressa I'm sorry that's not what I meant okay I wish I didn't have to say that okay I'm sure many of you uh, understand that been there but that's our nature it's our nature it may surprise you this morning but I have found after 11 and a half years that marriage is hard. <laughs> I have a wonderful wife. I have a wonderful marriage. But I know this. It's a lot of work. And if you've been married for any length of time, you know marriage is a lot of work. A lot of choices. See, before I married Tressa, the only person I had to think about was, well, me. I wasn't concerned with anybody else. I was just concerned with myself. I ate when I felt like it. 
I, I watch the movies that I like. I spent a lot of time watching ESPN basketball and football games, all right? That was just kind of my life. But when I got married, there were some things that changed. There were some changes that had to happen. I had to think of someone beside myself. You begin to realize how selfish that you are. Just the natural way of things. Now, if, if all of a sudden in the next couple of weeks you, you heard that I stopped acting like we were married. Stop being concerned with her needs that I only thought of my wants. If I left my family. If I, if I started going out on dates with other women. Began to search to fulfill desires outside of marriage. First of all, I wouldn't be alive for very long. I'm confident of that. So that's the first thing. All right. But you would probably have some names for me. Maybe scum. You know. Dirtbag. You jerk. You adulterer. Do you understand? God takes this matter of giving ourselves over to our natural desires of our flesh very seriously. And when we have fighting and warring in our lives, and we remain selfish, God says you're choosing to love your flesh over me, and you are an adulterer. You're allowing yourself to be controlled by, by what you want. You know what that's called? It's called pride. And pride has a way of causing lots of problems. In fact, Proverbs 13, verse number 10, really sums it all up. She says, listen, you want to know where your problems are coming from? Only by pride cometh contention. What the well advises is wisdom. Friend, if you have problems, if there's, if there's battles, he says, listen, you want to know uh, th this side's fighting with this side. And I want what I want, and I want what I want, and, and, and I'm going to dig in deep, and I'm not changing, and I'm not submitting, and I'm not, and this, I'm not going to change, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hold on. And God, would you just change, and would you just change their mind, and change their heart? And God, if you just do that, then I would be happy. You know where it stems from? Pride. Pride. I, right at the center of it all about me and it's a scary place to be because in our human nature we will naturally choose pride we will naturally choose to love the world it's like a bug attracted to the bug zapper you can't help it you just got to go to it all right and it always ends up in a painful situation because Romans 3:10 tells us there's none righteous no not one you see none of us can in our own selves overcome this. It's our natural bent. It's our natural desire. That's what he says there in verse number 5. But friend, he doesn't leave us hopeless. And that's the good news. We have a wonderful promise found in that very next verse in verse number 6. He says this. The answer to your perspective. He giveth more grace. This is so cool. Those verses are tied together. Verse number 5. The spirit that dwelleth in you, it lusteth the envy. He says, listen, you've got this, uh, this part of you. This, the, the old flesh, the old spirit. And he says, listen, it's lusting to envy. It, it's desiring what it wants. That's what it wants. And it wants what it wants. And it wants what it wants. And it wants what it wants. And you can't do it on your own. But he says this, but God giveth more grace. Oh, you can mark it down. 
If you try to do it on your own, you can't do it. But listen, friend, you can try, you can try, you can try. But listen, every time, no matter how much this is pushing, God always gives more grace. His grace is always more. His grace is always enough. His ability that He gives you to overcome the sin. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to men. But God is faithful that He will make a way of escape for you. That you may be able to bear it. Every single time. James tells us your natural tendency is going to be to follow your flesh. To love the world. To become an adulterer as the bride of Christ. But God gives more grace and ability to overcome those things. God will give you more grace than the enticements of this world. God will give you more grace than your selfish flesh can offer. God will give grace that will overpower the pride and the desires that don't want to control your life. God will give you grace to stay faithful to Him when you're tempted to act and live like the world. Oh, Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 2 Corinthians 9.80 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Our loving God is ready to give grace when we fail Him. Aren't you thankful that we have a God that even whenever we do fail, even when we do leave where we ought to be, that He's right there to receive us back. Over in Luke chapter number 15, we have a story in the Scriptures. The Bible begins by simply saying this, there was a certain man that had two sons. This, this man, he had two sons, and, and the Bible tells us that one of those sons comes to his dad and basically says, Dad, I wish that you were dead. That's, that's basically what he did. In fact, he says this in verse number 15 of Luke chapter number, uh, Luke chapter number uh, uh, 15. He, he comes to him and he says, Dad, I just wish that you were dead. I, I wish that you get, get, give me the portion of the inheritance that, that belongeth to me. Dad, I wish you were dead. You need to give me what is mine. Not long after, the Bible says, he went to a far country. He wasted his life on riotous living, the Bible says. I mean, he lived it up. And you come to verse number 14, it says this, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to fields to feed swine, and he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave to him. Can you imagine? This guy had everything. Dad, give me what I deserve. Dad, give me what's mine. The dad divided into them his living, and the Bible says he took his, 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 his distance, he took off, went to a far country, wasted his life with riotous living. He left the love of his father and, and went and did his own thing. But then he came to the place because the world always leaves you there where, where it leaves you wanting what you want and you can't get it fulfilled. I want what I want, I want what I want, I want what I want. And he got it for a while, and then ultimately he didn't want what he got. And before very long, he found out that he couldn't get what he wanted. And all of a sudden, he had to go and find himself slopping the hogs. I remember when Tressa and I first got married, and, or before we were married. It was the first time that I came out to visit. And I came and I stayed at the, the house, uh, at Joe's house, Tressa's dad's house. And, and I was there, and, and I woke up in the morning, and I went out, and on the table there was a a little, a little note that said, slop the hogs and feed the cows. 
I'm from Indiana. I didn't know what that meant. I had no, I, no clue, all right? And uh, I had to call Tressa. I'm like, Tressa, what, what does this mean? This is like a foreign language to me. What's, what's this saying? And she's like, well, you've got to feed the cows and you've got to feed the hogs. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, really? Like, I didn't sign up for this. Right then I was questioning some life decisions. But that was, you know, there we were. So I went out and I, you know what? When I was feeding the pigs, I hadn't eaten breakfast yet. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, hmm. Maybe I'll just stick my face down in there and just get, a, just get a bite for myself, you know? I mean, no. I mean, that thought doesn't cross your mind. Are you kidding me? That's, it would never cross your mind. It's disgusting. Nobody would do that. Gross. The Bible says this guy was so low. So, I mean, he was just at the bottom. That it says even if he tried to fill his belly with the leftover husks that the swine ate, it wouldn't have even, it wouldn't even met his, his appetite. This guy was so low. He was brought so low, so broken. And then here's the key. Verse number 17. And when he came to himself. See, this is, this is the moment that changed everything. All of a sudden, it, it's like almost the, the lenses fell off and he looked and he's like, what in the world am I doing here? What's going on? He came to himself and said, how many hired servants of my brothers have bread and enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. He said, I'm going to say to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Would you just make me as one of the hired servants? Listen, it's the key to the whole story. It's the key to verse number six. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. I don't deserve it, Dad. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve your love. I don't even deserve to... God, would, Dad, would you just make me one of your servants? That's all I'm asking. I don't deserve any of it. That young man came back to his home. He found the father waiting for him. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against him, against heaven and in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and he began to be merry. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace, more grace unto the humble. Christian, this morning, can I ask you? Is there conflict in your life? Is there conflict in relationships in your life? Who is it in your life that you're at odds with? Maybe it's somebody within the church. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's in your marriage that there's this conflict that's going on. And you just keep thinking to yourself, if she or he would just change, then everything would be good. And God says, that's not the answer. 
See, the answer is never to point the finger at the other person. The answer is to say, God, search me. Search my heart. From whence come fightings and wars among you? They, they come of your lusts that war on your members. I want what I want. And I'm not going to change. God, would you just change them? Then I would be happy. And God says, oh, you are so full of pride. It's almost like you're coming to me and saying, God, give me what I want. What belongs to me. Then I'll be happy. And you find out you're empty. But when you come to yourself, God, your way is so much better than mine. Your blessings are so much greater than anything I could seek for myself. God, will you take me back? I know I'm an adulterer and adulteress in your sight. But God, will you forgive me? I got great news. God giveth more grace. Oh, he resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. And friend, today when you choose in humility to lay aside your wants, to stop fighting for your desires and lusts, and stop asking God to work according to your plans, it is then that you can see God work in those relationships. Friend, you can choose today to experience more grace in your life. To lay aside selfish ambitions and desires. To find a heavenly Father that's there with open arms. Desiring to receive you and give you the life that He desires for you to have. The relationships that He desires for you to have. You know, there's never been a church split when people were submitting to the will of God over their own will. Marriages don't break apart when two people are submitting to the will of God and to each other. Family relationships aren't destroyed when people are submitting to one another. But only by pride cometh contention. And God resists the proud. Friend, if you feel like God's keeping you at an arm length, maybe it's because there's some pride in your heart that you need to deal with. And you need to say, God, I humble myself before you. There's some situations. Because the truth is this, listen, your relationship this way can never be right if your relationship's this way. Maybe you need to say, God, help me humble myself and experience your grace, more grace. Stop wanting what I want and digging in and holding on. Saying, God, will you make it what I want? No, no, God. Listen, not my will, but thine be done. And I hope you can pray that this morning. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, 
as I prepared this message this week, I, God was working in my heart. Because let's just be honest, so many times relationships in life are filled with conflict. And many times, most of the time, it's because I'm refusing to submit my will to God's. Because I want what I want. And I fight for what I want. And God, you give me what I want. And all the while, God's saying, I have nothing to do with this. This is all you. Friend, this morning, maybe God brought some people to your mind. You say that relationship isn't what it ought to be. You know, that, that prodigal son gave us a great template of exactly how to respond in those situations. He didn't come back and say, God, you know, Dad, if you would have just done this differently, or if you responded like this, then, then everything would have been... No, no, no. He came back and he said, Dad, it was all me. Will you forgive me? Maybe we need to do that in our relationships today. Hope this morning if God spoke to your heart that you'll respond to Him. And see God's grace, that's more grace than you could ever imagine, poured out in your life. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together as the music plays. And you respond to the Lord this morning. Maybe you need to make your seat an altar or you want to come to the altar here in the front. But I'd encourage each and every person to Spend a few moments with the Lord.